Good morning, world, and welcome to Love, Joy, and Languages, a podcast about loving languages and finding joy in learning them. I'm Heidi, the host of this show, and I'm ready to just jump right in this week. As you can tell from the title of this episode, this is the second of a two-part series where I'm digging into the phenomenon of imposter syndrome. Now, this episode could stand alone on its own, but if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I definitely encourage you to go back and listen to that first, because it really kind of sets the stage for some of the things I have to say here today. But if you're sticking around, let me recap really quick the main points from the first of these two episodes. So, imposter syndrome is a phenomenon in which people believe they don't deserve the praise or acknowledgement they receive for what they've accomplished or achieved. People with imposter syndrome often feel like we're not as proficient, skilled, or intelligent as others seem to think, and we often think that eventually someone's going to uncover this truth, that we're somehow faking our accomplishments. And imposter syndrome is very prevalent among language learners. So last week I talked about three other language learning related things, or phenomena, if you will, and how I see them connected to imposter syndrome. First, I notice a link between imposter syndrome and indefinable, unquantifiable goals or end states. In language learning, the most notorious of these goals is to reach fluency. Second, I believe there's a connection between imposter syndrome and the labels or titles we strive after, things like polyglot or multilingual, but more specifically with the characteristics, actions, or achievements we consciously or unconsciously expect of someone with those labels. And finally, in last week's episode, I talked about the tie between imposter syndrome and the idolization of and comparing ourselves to others in the language learning community, especially those who are considered the most accomplished or longest serving professionals in the field. So the details of my thoughts on those are all in part one. And today I want to bring you back to the impetus of this series of episodes on imposter syndrome. My sweet friend Elle over at Speaking Tongues podcast, which side note, you should definitely be listening to. Um, But Elle and I were chatting and she asked me how I handle imposter syndrome now. Her question really took me by surprise and I had to think for quite a while about what I do to manage it because it's something I've worked on for years. After thinking it over and chatting with her a bit more, I consolidated my thoughts into three things that have really helped me manage imposter syndrome and always feeling like a fraud in language learning specifically, but really in all areas of my life. These three tips don't necessarily correlate with the three connections I made last week. The fact that there are three is just coincidental, although I do prefer odd numbers and three is a really good number, but I'll try to include those connections as I talk about managing imposter syndrome. So here it goes. In my response to Elle about how I handle imposter syndrome, the first thing I said was that I think the answer lies somewhere between mindfulness and confirmation bias. Confirmation bias, as I'm sure most of you know, is our tendency to see what we believe. So, for example, in language learning, if we believe we're bad at it, if we believe we aren't the kind of person who can learn a language, then we'll notice our mistakes more than our accuracy. We more strongly perceive that which confirms our bias. When it comes to imposter syndrome, I think we're even more likely to see things or give credence to things that support the idea that we aren't whatever, that we aren't serious language learners, that we don't belong in these spaces, that we aren't capable of speaking. So to combat this, to counteract it, I think it's absolutely critical to be mindful enough to choose what instances I want to confirm to myself. In researching this topic, I found the term falsification bias, which is actively looking for evidence that disproves your bias. 
There are so many ways we can be mindful enough of our thoughts, words, and actions to actively practice falsification bias in our language lives. And you can start pretty small. For example, let's say you do some writing practice in a journal. A few days later, you go back to correct your work, and when you see all the mistakes you made, it can sometimes feel like you're just not good enough. You aren't really learning the language. If anyone else saw this, they'd know you're a fraud. Mistakes confirm the deepest feelings of inability and ineptitude. But what if you then went through your journal entry and highlighted in a very happy color all the things you got correct? Chances are there are many more correct words, conjugations, and grammatical structures than mistakes. And seeing those highlighted with your own eyes falsifies the idea that you aren't learning the language, that you're faking it. It can be very difficult to make the mental switch, but by choosing to confirm what you do know and what you can do, you leave so much more room for confidence, positive beliefs, and even learning from the mistakes. Because it's much more motivating to correct mistakes from a point of, wow, look how much I got right. I really am learning this language. Than from a place of, I made so many mistakes that I don't think I'm even making progress. And this exact same mindfulness tactic can be used in reading, speaking, and listening activities. When reading a text, first highlight every word you know. Use a different color for words you understand in context but maybe couldn't produce on your own. And then a third color for words you don't recognize at all. If the reading material is at a comprehensible level for you, which is where you want it to be, then most of the text will be highlighted as words you know or understand. And you're choosing the initial focus, the place where feelings are cemented in, to be on what you can do, confirming that you are indeed doing this thing. When speaking, it is far too easy to focus on our mistakes. But I always try to find time after a conversation to mentally run through it again and see how much I actually did right. And not just with respect to the words I said, but also the conversation as a whole. Did the other person understand me? Did they stay engaged? Were we able to continually move the conversation forward? Being mindful enough to choose to see those things is an excellent way to confirm that yes, I am speaking this language. I think being mindful of what we choose to confirm to ourselves is also very useful when considering that connection between imposter syndrome and our language learning idols, as I described last week. Confirmation bias shows us all the new languages others are learning and mastering. It shows us that other people speak better than us, learn faster than us, learn easier than us, and we simply don't belong in the same category as them because of all these things we perceive based on our preconceived notions. Falsification bias, on the other hand, chooses to see other, more accomplished, more proficient language learners as humans. It chooses to listen to their voices when they say they make mistakes, when they say they don't feel fluent, when they say it took them years to learn their first foreign language. Being mindful enough not to compare myself and my journey to anyone else's, but especially not to someone who's been doing this for decades longer than me, is a huge step toward feeling seeing and believing that I am legitimately learning and speaking this language. So tip number one is to be mindful of choosing what instances you want to confirm to yourself in order to see more of the positive, skillful, and amazing things you really are doing. The second thing I've very recently started doing to manage imposter syndrome is to take on titles unapologetically, leaving off any additional qualifiers. This actually started because of another conversation I had on Instagram that stemmed from episode 25 about fluency. 
A fellow language learner pointed out that saying we speak a certain language is just as vague a claim as the word fluency. At what point can we even say we speak a language? And that really spoke to me because up to that point, I'd never claimed that I speak Italian. I often have full conversations in Italian. I can very comfortably and easily get around in the country interacting with the locals. Yet if someone asks me if I speak Italian, my response is never just yes. It's, yeah, I can get around, or yes, but not to an advanced level, or yes, but I still have so much left to learn. And these responses are the same no matter who's asking, whether it's a new acquaintance just trying to get to know me, a monolingual friend who knows I lived in Italy, a native Italian, or whoever. I always feel like I have to qualify or quantify my speaking abilities. And to be honest, when we respond in this way, these qualifiers often diminish our actual abilities. But like I pointed out last week, I put very high expectations on this label of Italian speaker. To be able to claim such a title, I would need to speak it very advanced, make very few mistakes, perhaps only when I'm tired or stressed, but not in a calm, clear-headed conversation. I would have to be able to keep up with conversations between native and other advanced speakers. But the thing is, will I ever really feel like I live up to those standards? Unless I pass a C1 or C2 exam, which doesn't even make sense for me because I don't need it for immigration or work purposes, will I ever really feel like an advanced speaker? When I do reach an advanced speaking point, I'll still make mistakes and forget words, so will I feel like I'm really speaking the language? Imposter syndrome pretty much guarantees that no matter what we actually do, how well we actually perform, we'll never feel like we legitimately deserve to use a particular label or title or identity even. So to combat this, I decided to start taking on titles unapologetically without qualifying them. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying we should claim to be something we're not. There's definitely a line between intentionally misrepresenting ourselves and laying claim to that which we really have achieved. But for working against imposter syndrome, removing those qualifiers can be a very powerful tool. For example, if someone asks me if I speak Italian, I now say, yes, period. And that can be scary, right? I don't speak it at an advanced level, so what if the other person responds with some high-level conversational stuff at a super fast speed and I can't keep up, and they call me out and dismiss my claim as a speaker? Well, first, in reality, the chances of that happening are negligible, and even if it did, it doesn't mean I don't speak the language. Simply asking someone to slow down is a great tool for working through instances like this, and in my experience, others kindly oblige and we move the conversation forward. I use my spoken Italian for meeting people, forging new friendships, nurturing old friendships, and traveling to the country. And I don't have to prove to anyone that my speaking abilities are more than sufficient to interact in these ways. So yes, I speak Italian. Full stop. And saying this still doesn't feel completely accurate because I still have those underlying expectations of needing to be very advanced. But I think it's valuable to get comfortable being uncomfortable with a title that you have a legitimate claim to. Because if we don't sit with that discomfort, we're never going to get comfortable. You got to try it on, wear it in, and eventually the discomfort starts to go away and the feelings of being an imposter diminish with it. And this isn't something that has to be a one-time thing. Let's say you start unapologetically claiming your label as a speaker of a language, multilingual, language learner, or whatever, and it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like you. First, 
you never have to call yourself anything. You can literally just be you, existing as you are, without a title or label, and your legitimacy as your whole self is perfectly valid. But second, if you do want to try on some titles for working against imposter syndrome, try one out for a while. And if it doesn't work for you, set a time in the future to come back and reassess. Maybe once a quarter or every six months you try it on again. Wear your title around for a few days or weeks. Stop yourself before qualifying your abilities and see if you start to feel just a little more confident in your capabilities and progress in your language. So be mindful of what you choose to confirm to yourself about your abilities. Practice using labels or titles unapologetically without qualifiers. And finally, the third thing I do to handle imposter syndrome is to know myself. Now, a lot of advice out there for overcoming imposter syndrome says to know your strengths, know what you're good at, focus on those things and leverage them. And this makes a lot of sense because it can really help build confidence and show us that we are capable and we do belong. But I also think that the deeper we are in imposter syndrome, the longer we felt it, the harder this advice is to even consider. And when we mix imposter syndrome with perfectionism, Knowing your strengths can feel like very superficial advice because as perfectionists, we know we tend to focus on our mistakes. Our weaknesses are always highlighted and our strengths are diminished. So telling me to just do the opposite feels patronizing, really. Like, yeah, I would love to, but how the heck do I do that when this is so deeply ingrained in how I see myself and how I function? Simply identifying our strengths is the opposite of what feels natural and logical to a perfectionist. So I want to speak from the depths of imposter syndrome here, from the perspective of someone who has been very, very deep into imposter syndrome, who accepted it as just the way things are for decades, who learned to just live with it instead of challenge it, and who also lives with perfectionism. I want to work up from there and hopefully one day reach a point where I can hear, know your strengths and leverage them and feel like, okay, yeah, I can do that. But I'm not there yet. So instead... I say, know yourself, all of yourself. I think we often feel ashamed, embarrassed, different, or held back by particular aspects of ourselves, and we try to shove those things down into a closet. We try to forget about them or fight against them. But sometimes, acknowledging them is much more useful than fighting. When we know ourselves, we bring those things out and we confront them. For me as a language learner, as you know, the most potent trait or characteristic about myself that I've tried to ignore and bury is being a perfectionist. Because I've known for decades that perfectionism holds me back and really messes with my ability to progress and grow, I tried ignoring it. Like, if I could just turn that off, then it wouldn't affect me anymore. But we all know it doesn't work like that. And there are countless things that describe us or that we identify with that if ignored or pushed down, keep us in a place of feeling like an imposter, unworthy, like we don't belong. This can be absolutely anything, like neurodivergence, non-native speakers and teaching professions, being an immigrant or a refugee, a third culture kid or a learner of a heritage language, our race or gender. There are so many traits, histories, and experiences that have a profound impact on our image of ourselves as language learners but that often go unaddressed or even hidden for a multitude of reasons. But the way I see it is that those things are a part of us, and they affect us. They affect how we feel inside, 
how we view ourselves, and how we move in certain spaces. It's no wonder we feel like imposters when we shove them down, hide them, or ignore them. We're literally trying to imitate someone without those characteristics, someone who isn't us, who isn't you. So knowing these things and knowing how they affect us as language learners, or even better, as human beings interacting in the spaces around us, this allows us to live authentically. And guess what? It's a lot harder to feel like a fraud or imposter if you're living authentically and unapologetically as you. Then, once we bring our truths out of their hiding spots, we can really get to know our full selves and know how this authentic person functions. When I stopped fighting perfectionist Heidi, for example, and started getting to know her, I realized that she procrastinates and needs a to-do list to keep her on track. I learned that perfectionist Heidi works great with resources that have no sense of a grade, no numbers telling me I got a certain percentage correct, no streak to count, nothing like that. When I got to know perfectionist Heidi, I found out that she thrives in spontaneous conversation and environments where she's forced to speak because preparation causes her anxiety. She tries memorizing instead of trusting what she's learned and what she knows. Before getting to know myself as a perfectionist, before naming and accepting all the ways in which my perfectionism shows up, I felt like an imposter in language learning spaces. And to be perfectly honest, I kind of was an imposter. I was a legitimate language learner. That part was real. And I was deserving of a seat at the table, so to speak. But I wasn't living my language life authentically in the best way I knew how for me. Instead, I was trying to shove down that part of me that I knew to be negative and unhelpful in my language learning. And I was trying to learn languages in a way that other people said was best. Ways in which people without a hint of perfectionism learn. I was trying to be a non-perfectionist language learner. And that's not me. That's not who I am. Heidi, as a non-perfectionist language learner, is a fraud. But Heidi, as a perfectionist language learner, she's the real me. And I had to accept and really know that in order to live and learn languages as my real, authentic self. And it truly feels honest and genuine. I feel so much more confident in what I'm doing as a language learner. And I feel more worthy of compliments or praise I receive for my speaking abilities because I know I'm putting forward the real me, perfectionism and all. So that's my final thought or tip on managing imposter syndrome. Get to know yourself. Talk to yourself about who you are and what affects you. Discover all your tendencies, beliefs, characteristics, and preferences that are linked to the parts of yourself that you may have been ignoring, pushing aside, or trying to hide. And then leverage those things, all of them, to find your own genuine identity, learning path, and language spaces. So to recap the things I've shared today and to succinctly answer Elle's question about how I handle imposter syndrome, the following are three things I believe are important to consider for working to manage imposter syndrome. First, be mindful of your own confirmation bias and choose what instances, what things that happen in your language life that you want to confirm to yourself. Second, Take on titles or labels unapologetically, leaving off any additional qualifiers. Call yourself a language learner, a Spanish speaker, a polyglot, whatever it is, and claim it, period. No proof or justification required. And finally, know yourself. 
Know the things about your life, personality, history, situation, etc. that are you, that aren't leaving, no matter how much they frustrate you or how much you resent them, and discover how they affect you as a language learner. Find ways to work with those traits, beliefs, and preferences so that you begin to create a language world in which you live authentically as yourself, baggage and all. And I have to say, I know this isn't easy, especially this last one, and it isn't necessarily something that happens quickly. Getting to know ourselves in this deep, non-judgmental, and accepting way can take years. It may take counseling or therapy. It can require a support network of people who love you or people who are like you. But every step we take toward knowing ourselves and living unapologetically as ourselves is a step toward believing that we are legitimate. We are valid. We do belong. And we do deserve praise and acknowledgement for the real work and progress we've made. So for me, while I've summed up my thoughts on imposter syndrome in two episodes, this conversation isn't over. And no matter when you're listening to this episode, if you want to reach out and talk about your thoughts, experience, struggles, or successes related to imposter syndrome, find me on Instagram, Twitter, or my website, which I'll share in the show notes. I'm always up for talking about the tough topics, and I know how difficult it can be to get vulnerable and talk about our struggles, but I also know how liberating it is, and I'm here for it. So that wraps up this two-part series on imposter syndrome, and as always, I hope you got something out of it. I really look forward to seeing you out in the language world this week. So until next time, ciao.